The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. If the totality of the data were to indicate <clears throat> that faster tightening is warranted, we'd be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. Fed Chair Jerome Powell warns of a return to bigger rate hikes as inflation and jobs numbers heat up again. The market's now pricing in a 50 basis point hike this month. Powell's warning sends markets into a tailspin with the Dow now lower year to date, while the two and 10 year yield curve inversion hits its steepest level in over 40 years. The White House endorses a new bipartisan bill that would allow the administration to block foreign technology apps deemed to be a national security threat, raising the prospect of a ban on TikTok. And on International Women's Day, the IMF's managing director, Kristalina Gorgieva, tells CNBC that tapping into female talent is key to solving global economic challenges. At a time when we are struggling with so many difficulties everywhere, including here in the United States of slow growth, high inflation, we ought to tap into the talent of women to help us cope. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the programme this morning. Let's um, kick off then with the latest from Jay Powell's testimony. The Fed chair sent equity and bond prices sharply lower on his first day of testimony to Congress, warning the central bank may need to hike rates further and keep them there for longer, as he pointed out how far inflationary indicators have reversed their slowdown since the end of last year. In the first of his uh, two-day testimony before lawmakers, Powell set out the, quote, social costs of not tackling inflation. In his first remarks since January's hotter-than-expected inflation print, Powell cast doubt on hopes for a soft landing, with Fed projections showing the current hiking cycle will lead to a more than one percentage point jump in unemployment. Although inflation has been moderating in recent months, the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go and is likely to be bumpy. As I mentioned, the latest economic data have come in stronger than expected, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be, to be higher than previously anticipated. If the totality of the data were to indicate <clears throat> that faster tightening is warranted, we'd be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. Well, Powell also downplayed the prospect of a pivot in the near future. Restoring price stability is essential to set the stage for achieving maximum employment and stable prices over the longer run. The historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. We will stay the course until the job is done. Money markets moved to the now pricing and more than 70% chance of a 50 basis point hike at this month's FOMC meeting. According to CME's FedWatch tool, that is a near 60% point surge in the space of a month. Well, bets on the benchmark rate crossing the 6% mark by September standard more than 10%. That is up from just over 1.5% before Powell's speech. Well, I don't need to spend a vast amount of time looking at markets because you know what happened 
and you know what the reaction has been from what Karen and Jeff already been saying. Quick look at this, because actually what is fascinating, it was the Dow and the S&P that got it worse than the Nasdaq. And the conventional logic from the market up until this point was it was the technology stocks that would be most hit, of course, by um, rate hikes and, of course, looking at their business models and discounted cash flows and financials potentially would be the better performing sector uh, because, of course, the increased margins and the interest margins. But actually, it was the opposite. Goldman's was down 72 points uh, worth of the Dow's 575 on its own. Financials were down 2.5%. So that was the biggest performing sector. Uh, and as we've heard from uh, Jeff and Karen already, it was on the treasuries that everyone looked and saw some very interesting action. You saw the 210 now at the most negative level since 1981 as well. So uh, massive inversion there uh, in terms of that spread. The lowest since the 18th of September 1981 uh, and the spread now looking around what 105 points give or take. The lowest then was 111 points as well. Uh, and we saw the five-year yield picking up to over 4.3%. So across the yield, those people who have sought safe haven at the short end, it's not quite working, is it? We were all told it was a no-brainer to buy the short end. Well, the yield keeps picking up now 5.07 on the two-year. And it's the same story here in Europe as well. Looking at the dollar cross as well, the dollar index put on 1.2% yesterday. So the pound fell, the euro fell, the yen now back up to 137, the dollar is on that pair as well, having got down to a 129 handle. Um, at the point where we thought we were going to see maximum hawkishness from the Bank of Japan. Well, that's the story has just calmed down a little bit as well. What a fascinating turn of events, though, that our colleagues, uh, Sully and others, are down in Texas at Sarah Week as well, where all I've heard from uh, CEO after CEO is how tight the market is, how bullish they are on the underlying spot, how bullish they are because refining capacity is being reached, how refining margins uh, there's a real problem there as well in terms of actually adding more capacity on. Well, uh, not quite worked out like that, has it? We saw the WTI price falling 3.6% yesterday. We saw Brent falling 3.4% as well. And we also saw spot gold trading dramatically lower as well. So a lot of those inflation hedges in the spot gold world not working. And as I say, maybe a little bit of the dollar rallying is a knee jerk on the commodity prices, but also the opening of China from COVID as well, which was supposed to be such a big catalyst. Not quite working out like that at the moment on Brent. So let's take a look at where the Asian indices are currently trading as well. And by and large, we are lower across the board. The Hang Seng losing 2.6%, but the Nikkei five tenths of 1% higher. And the opening calls for European markets. Well, this is interesting. Nowhere near as dramatic as I, I thought they could have been as well, given the big declines we saw in the States. And bearing in mind, the FTSE, for instance, only fell 0.1% yesterday. The DAX fell 0.6%. The CAC fell 05 as well. But here's the interesting thing, and I know we're going to go to Stephen Blitz in a few moments' time. But now the market is saying, hang on a second, the, the so-called terminal rate, the, the dot plot, We've got to change our aspirations on this. And Goldman Sachs yesterday, this one came into my inbox overnight as well, have now increased their terminal rate forecast. Bearing in mind, the market by and large thought it was 5.1% in December, then drifted up to 5.5. Well, Goldman's has now left it to, for 2023, a peak rate of up to, of up to 5.75%. So let's get another view on this one, an educated one at that. Stephen Blitz is the chief US economist at TS Lombard. And Stephen, the market is beginning. Well, look, if there's a battle going on, 
between uh, two greats, you know, I don't know, Connors versus Macamara at the moment. At the moment, the, the, the Fed is wiping the floor with the other side of the net, and actually the market's getting it badly wrong, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but you know, keep in mind that in, if on Friday morning, well, Friday morning here, uh, if the uh, February employment data come in at minus 300,000, all this turns on its head yet again. Right. So, you know, he's he's reacting to uh, a set of numbers that came in in January hotter than expected. Um, but it also speaks to the point which, he, you know, this whole idea, well, maybe we'll go 50. They never should have dropped the 25. Right. And they never should have dropped from 75 to 50, really. Um, you know, neutral to them is 50 basis points real. We're just getting to zero real. And, you know, they're slowing down on the idea. They were slowing down the idea that, well, we're hitting the exit ramp, whatever analogy you want to use. And But they have no idea where the, where the top rate is because they have no idea where inflation settles down um, without a recession. And at the end of the day, you know, he was asked a lot, but there is no exit from this until he does create a recession, until unemployment goes up. And that's when the uh, Fed rates will stop being hiked. Stephen, Stephen, let me let me jump in then, because I think you made a fantastic point about Friday. And then if we throw in Tuesday's CPI number, there is still quite a lot to play for in terms of which direction this goes, 25 or 50 at this stage. So in terms of how our investing audience needs to think about the period up to the 21st and the 22nd, the, the, the path is obviously not clear and is strewn with potential boulders. But until we get those two data points, how should our audience behave around risk assets? Uh, that there's going to be a recession and the Fed's going to push the point and they're going to get the unemployment rate to at least four and a half percent. And my guess, it probably ends up getting up to as high as five and a half percent. Now, this recession, there are a lot of rumblings and things going on underneath a lot of layoffs in finance and tech and and um, the housing market's kind of stalled now. Uh, and so when you add that all together, uh, and the weak equity market, you're getting an asset crunch and uh, you're at the, the beginnings of the potential for credit crunch in terms of banks pulling back on lending. So either you get a, a recession mid-year and the top rate is five and a half, or there is enough momentum, the January numbers are right, and the Fed keeps going. And if they do keep going, my guess is the Fed's going to get up to six and a half percent. Uh, on the funds rate before things really start to slow down and reverse. So in terms of risk assets, it's, a, it, 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 it's not a question of, of, of whether, it's really a question of when. And the longer this thing goes, the higher the, higher the rate has to get to. Let's talk about the type of inflation we're dealing with here then. Uh, DataTrek was pointing out yesterday that the, some of the supply issues have been fixed, that the New York Fed's uh, global supply chain pressure index is back to negative for the first time since before the pandemic crisis. So effectively, if we still see inflation from here, it could be structural inflation kicking in. And given the testimony we heard from Jay Parr yesterday about the heat still in the services sector, is it your view that we are, in fact, looking at a structural inflation problem? Yeah, I mean, the good stuff, and when we talk about inflation, the goods prices, even rent, 
you know, this is the stuff that gets you to six, seven, eight, nine percent inflation. But the target is two, right? And we're talking about inflation settling in right now somewhere, say, between three and five to cut it very broadly. And of all the things that were considered transitory, most of them proved to be transitory, except for one thing. You got a structural shift in the labor market. Uh, You've got a drop in supply for a number of reasons, and demand is strong. And when you have inflation this high above the unemployment rate, the inflation rate doesn't get resolved to a 2% rate until the unemployment rate goes up. And, you know, we did not have a credit cycle. We haven't had a credit cycle since, you know, the beginning, since the 08, 09 recession in the United States. It's been an asset cycle. So that means you don't have the leverage. So that means that, you you know, to, to hit with higher interest rates. So how do you get a recession going? Well, you got to hit the asset side of household and household balance sheets. And that's a much longer, um, that's a much longer, longer road. I think you're starting to see it. Uh, and you're starting to see businesses that have been built on, especially in finance, that have been built on an extended period of high equity prices and zero carry. They know that that, that business model no longer works and that new business model no longer works for free funding into the tech sector. So you, that's why you're seeing everything starting there. And these are high income people getting laid off. And we all know that the top 20% is, spends, is about accountable for about 70, 75% of discretionary spending in the United States. So it matters. But um, there is still a credit cycle that's possible because people do borrow. There is loans. And the banks, you know, inflation's finance. And, uh, you know, earlier this year, the banks were lending at around a 12, 15% annualized rate uh, in terms of growth. And now it's down about uh, six, five. And heading lower, and eventually that does slow things down. Right. Stephen, there are different catalysts here too for the consumer to deal with higher mortgage rates or back above the the 7% level, but then lower oil prices that can give many consumers more disposable income at this point. How are those different factors working together at this stage to to help or hinder the Fed in its fight against inflation? Well, you don't buy a house every day, but at least in the United States, you buy gasoline. And uh, so I would say the drop in the gasoline prices. You know, I wrote last summer that the one thing that the Fed wasn't counting on, the one thing that we're not used to in the United States is is sharply lower prices into a strong labor market. And that is a boost to income. And we saw that with the increase in restaurants because we saw that in the, in the, in the mid-teens that there's a real inverse relationship between gasoline prices and, and eating out. And so, yeah, that's the bigger issue. The bigger thing about, the, look, if you look at the amount of houses being sold and being produced right now, you're about where you were in 2017, 18, 2019. It's a surge that came and went. The biggest thing about these high mortgage rates is that it really constrains supply of existing houses because a lot of people refinance. They've got a 2% mortgage. They're not selling their house to swap that into a 7% mortgage. So when you take that plus the high prices, you know, you do have a flat housing market and it'll probably, if the housing market weakens from here, uh, then I would say the housing market's moving into, into a recession and, 
you know, out comes a lot of construction workers as well, although some of them may be getting moving over into commercial construction. But, you know, we heard that story in 2007 as well. Stephen, it's been a real pleasure catching up. Thanks for sharing your views on uh, Powell's testimony. And we'll see you on another day soon. Stephen Blitz, Chief U.S. Economist at T.S. Lombard. I just wanted to pick up on that mortgage story because I thought that was interesting and very interesting that you singled in on that, Karen, particularly as the regional banks were down so heavily in the overnight session. And, you know, we normally do the ABC. Everybody does the ABC. Higher interest rates means a better margin for the banks. They should all do better on the savings accounts and so on and so forth, apparently. And yet, you know, and, and... Quite a lot of the banks have moved higher, I would say, over the last six months or so. I mean, just look at the European um, Stocks Banking Index. It's been on a clear upward path as the markets have repriced the profitability of the banks based on that higher margin that they can make. But you looked at the regional banks in the States overnight, down 3%, and you thought, okay, people are doing the maths now and they're saying, what matters more to me is the risk of defaults and the fact that people may just post their keys back to the Rialta, as they call it in the United States here. And I just wanted to throw in one more uh, comment. The other one is about Powell and how restrictive policy is at the moment. And um, Rabobank, decent write-up this morning on their Global Daily. This is just not restrictive monetary policy. In real terms, rates are still negative. Mm. If you've got inflation at 6.5% and you've still got interest rates at somewhere between 3 and 4%, then effectively... You know, you're just not seeing that tightening that Powell needs to see and that slowdown to justify um, taking your foot off the brake at this it point. It's a good point about what was spooked yesterday versus what was not as spooked and that the banks was actually the area where you saw the dominant reaction. I mean, that 3% down compared to the, the FANG stocks, only down, what, 0.8 of a percent. Uh, typically, when we've been talking about a high rate environment, it's been the tech sector that has turned tail. But it wasn't the space that saw the bulk of the selling yesterday, and that was reflected even at the NASDAQ versus the Dow level. So it does raise the question of what happens from here on positioning. We think about what's rallied. We've seen a rally in some of the, the fundamentals. Uh, that's been where investors have looked at the earnings, and they've traded on the back of some of those stocks that still look well positioned around the earnings. But they've also bought the oversold areas of the market, the beaten up technology technology names, that's where investors have gone back into it. And you know, I made the point even in recent days, we've had a lot of fund managers saying, look at the tech space, get back into some of those big name stocks. You know, it's worth revisiting US uh, Silicon Valley exposures. But I think yesterday to see what was then sold off again, the fact that maybe it is some of the fundamentals where investors are now taking another look, perhaps concerned about earnings revisions if we are now talking about a recession because the Fed might do more than anticipated trying to get ahead of the inflation story. Well, we know we're near the levels. I mean, yeah, okay, it was a big sum. Yeah, yeah, 500 points a day always catches the eye. But we're nowhere near the levels we were at the lows of the market when the understanding from the market was that there would be a much lower terminal run rate, there'd be a much lower peak Fed funds rate and lower dot pot plot as well. Now, Goldman's has gone up as high as 5.5 to 5.75. The others are going to be in the same kind of bracket now as well. And yet the market low was back in October last year when the aspiration or the idea was not, actually we're going to get to 5, 5.1. Mm-hmm. So the market's absorbing another 0.6, of interest rate hikes to the terminal level and higher for longer as well, which has been the consistent message from the Fed. And yet the market is still circa, and I'll get this right, 
500 points, four 500 points, depending on which measure you take, mm. higher than where we were in October when we thought it was a 5% rate. So something's wrong here somewhere. We now think, according to uh, Stephen Blitz and others, that we're going to have a, a higher likelihood of a meaningful recession, a higher likelihood of higher rates to 5.75, according to the likes of Goldman's as well. And yet the market, the equity market is higher. Now, you're absolutely right to point out the disparity between the financials and the technology. But either way, something doesn't quite make sense here. So, so two, two thoughts, you know, from a, from a kind of um, structure of the market perspective. One is that we, we just have no knowledge in the market any longer of what this progress into a recession looks like on tightening monetary yep. conditions. Yep. Because the participants in the market that are active now have not seen a cycle like this. So that's from a behavioural finance perspective, that's one of the arguments that's thrown out. So they're still hanging around the, uh, the bar waiting for a last drink before the, uh, the bell rings and they get booted out and no one quite knows when it's time to leave. They're still trying to make an extra dollar just by hanging out because they think there's a chance that the growth stocks will get a reprieve here. The other one, which I think is a little more technical and my friends in the algorithmic trading community would need to help me out with this. But because there's something different about the way employment levels are reacting and some of the economic indicators get, that get programmed into these trading systems are not behaving as they would do in a typical pre-recessionary phase, that is basically staying the hand of the computerized trading programs that would have gone into sell mode aggressively by now. So the, the, the data is um, confusing the computers as much as it's confusing the humans. Now, that, you know, write in if you think that's complete nonsense, but that's kind of some of the just, suggestion just to, that I've heard. Just to summarise what you just said there, though, you're saying the traders haven't seen, the, a lot of the traders, the current crop, haven't seen this kind of recessionary downtick or high inflationary episode, so hence don't know how to trade it. Right. But then at the same point, you're saying the algorithmic models are, are, are treating the current situation in a certain way. But actually, the algorithmic models haven't existed through this kind of environment as well. So maybe, dare I say it, and it's not, not, again, way above my pay grade, maybe the programming into the algorithmic models is misjudging the nature well, of this downturn. Of course, they are connected because those systems are programmed by human beings. Or AI. Who are looking at historical precedents for, for this. But... As we know, what is the historical precedent? When did we last have a three-year lockdown of the global economy on COVID and then try to analyse what the economic consequences would be on the back of that? Well, the complexity here is around structural inflation. I mean, we're just having a conversation about it. All these different themes we've been chatting about around the war in Ukraine, the implications on the geopolitics for oil, energy markets, the tighter labour market that's simply not correcting with this great resignation, and then the reshoring that's taken place because of these technology wars been playing out between the United States and China and the other geopolitics, people wanting more facilities closer to home because they're not getting access to product. I mean, this is all coming into the mix of structural inflation. So what does a central bank do with that type of pricing pressure? Does raising interest rates make any difference in that context? And I think there are question marks. We don't know the answer to that because we don't know how this central bank will respond. Also coming up to a presidential year as well, whether it's going to be palatable when you just heard from Tesla overnight, but that the left and the right are not that happy with triggering a recession. So I think there are huge question marks that the algorithms can simply not extrapolate out at this point because it's more complex than it's been in many years. Uh, still to come on the programme, could the clock be ticking on TikTok? 
the White House backs a bill that would allow the president to ban the video app in the United States. And as investors try to read the Fed tea leaves, you can keep up with the market action every morning by subscribing to the Squawkbox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Twitter may be forced to hand over documents related to CEO Elon Musk and other business decisions after the U.S. Federal Trade Commission made multiple requests. The FTC has sent more than a dozen letters to Twitter since Musk took ownership of the platform, according to two U.S. House committees, which are investigating compliance with orders that came into effect well before Musk took over. According to the Wall Street Journal, the FTC wants Musk to testify. The Twitter boss said it's a shameful case of weaponization of a government agency for political purposes and suppression of the truth. The White House has backed a new bipartisan Senate bill that would give the Biden administration the power to ban TikTok in the U.S. The legislation would empower the Commerce Department to review deals, software updates or data transfers by IT and communications firms in which a foreign adversary has an interest. If the department determines that a transaction poses undue or unacceptable risk to U.S. national security, it can be referred to the president for action, including forced divestment. Very wording corporate and technical, Mm. wasn't it? But I know the Chinese are getting really annoyed about this, right? Uh, And and quite angry, and it's an assault on this, that, and the other. Mm. But this is once again quite asymmetric. And I'm not being anti-Chinese. I'm not being pro-American. I'm just pointing out that if the U.S. were to ban TikTok. That only puts them in line with what the Chinese are doing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, etc. Isn't it? The Chinese don't allow any of those, do they? No. That's my understanding. So, no. with all due respect to my Chinese friends, and I'm not, I'm not here to pick on China, I'm not here to bolster the United States, but the fact is, if the US bans TikTok, it's only putting it somewhat in line with what the Chinese are doing with US apps, isn't it? We're talking about 100,000... Am, am I missing the point here? About 100,000 Americans using TikTok effectively, and there are concerns that even only if... Only 100,000? Well, there's still a fairly large number. I thought it'd be a lot more, to be honest. I believe that was the number, but the reality is that if you've got... Oh, it's probably, actually, maybe, you maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's, is it oh, 100 million? I thought it'd be a loads more. Uh, yeah, 300 yeah, million. 100 million, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a fairly yeah. large number. Yeah. Um, but effectively, I think the, the problem is that even if ByteDance keeps offering up solutions about housing data in the United States to cross mm. all these hurdles. Mm. The one thing that the company cannot seem to get through to regulators for is what happens if the Chinese say that they want access or they want information or they it, want something done. That, you know? So they, they can't seem to, to square that away with, for regulators. It's uh, the unanswerable it's question. It's 113 million Americans <laughs> use 18 and above and we all know Quite frankly, there's loads of sub-18s, even if they're not supposed to be using it, who are using TikTok as well. 
we all know a lot of, you know, dare I say it, 13 to 17 year olds are finding their way onto TikTok as well, somehow, whatever. So we're talking about well over 110 million, well over considerably using mm. it. Uh, and there is an asymmetry here. That's all I'm saying, you know, and I just wonder how, what the Chinese would say to that. You don't allow all the US apps, so why should the Americans allow your app? But, but ever has it been thus in all areas of the Chinese economy, quite frankly. I mean, it, it's, it's still a managed um, exchange rate system, and yet that doesn't stop China taking advantage of the freely floating uh, currencies in economies all around the world here. The, the, the Chinese come back in the parallel universe in which they live would be that we're a developing country. Surely your democracy is robust enough to take a, a little bit of uh, social media developed. from now, elsewhere. How can they hide behind we're developed? They're pretty developed, aren't they? They are the world's largest or second largest economy. I think we can kind of say you're at, developed. At a, at a gross level. At a nominal at GDP a per level. Capita, yeah. Per capita GDP mm -hmm. level. Obviously, there are large parts of, of China that are still very much now, developing. I've ordered a book. It's taken ages to get there. It's called Sneaker Wars, and it's right. about the battle between Adidas and Puma. And I cannot wait to read it. The, the, the historic battle between Adidas, uh, Adolf Dazzler, uh, and, and his brother as well. Um, but you have some updated news on Adidas. Coming, isn't it? Adidas versus uh, West the Yeezy sneakers and this has oh, been yeah. a massive issue for the company hence the Q4 operating loss 724 million euros Q4 net loss from continuing operations of 482 million euros we did see a profit warning uh, from the company this around uh, the scrapping of that Yeezy stock and, and whether it would decide to make that decision after it discontinued the relationship so these numbers showing the impact currency neutral Q4 revenues declining 1% negative impact of 600 million euros from the termination of the Yeezy partnership. Wow, that you, is a costly termination, it, isn't it's it? It's horrible, but do you know what I'm more interested in? Because, I mean, that's just what we know what's Sales in China yeah. slumping 36% yeah. in 2022 and by 50% in the fourth quarter. amazing number, isn't it? Uh, yeah, other, but they were in lockdown, here. right, for a lot of that period. What, and you can't buy stuff online <coughs> in China? Oh, moving things around as well. Um, would you, well, the, the problem is not whether you can buy them or not it's whether you choose to buy them given that you may have a bigger draw on your budget for health or for food which is difficult to get access to i mean it's one of the problems of any system that doesn't have good social welfare program that ultimately people maintain higher savings for contingencies so you know in the circumstances i think where people are still terrified about what the government may unveil next in terms of lockdowns you're just not going to spend money on discretionary items. So, Adidas gross margin. How about this one? Well, last one. I know the direct poor Roger's trying to get on uh, in, in life and on the show. <laughs> uh, Adidas, Adidas gross margin in the, the, the to the end of the September quarter. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, we're not looking at this quarter. Listen, the end of September was forty nine point zero nine percent. Yeah, that's the end of September twenty twenty two. The latest Adidas margin has just slumped. My math, about twenty percent. To 39.1 percent in the fourth quarter increase supply chain costs and higher discounting they, they, look i don't know how much the market's already factored in with the horror story that is adidas at the moment but this is not good stuff yeah but the there's a pass here isn't there this is a new ceo who has an opportunity yes. to brush the sins of the past uh, under the carpet or effectively you know de deal with them put them out front for the international investor and say, look, I'm, I'm on the case. We're going to focus on this right down here, right down there, restructuring here, job losses there, job done. 
we hope to return to more significant margin growth and growth per se going forward. Just finally on Yeezy, they're not done yet. The big number I mentioned for the final quarter for 2023 also saying an operating loss of 700 million, additional negative impact of 500 million euros from potential Yeezy inventory write-off. So it has been diabolical outcome for them from severing ties. But of course, one that uh, fit with their their purpose after remarks that he made in public. Uh, Awful comments, absolutely. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.